Chapter 3. Find Their Sweet Spot In the not-too-distant past, there was a cultural phenomenon sweeping the United States. A television show meant to showcase and discover rising musical talents in every corner of the country. This may seem run-of-the-mill now, but when it first came out, American Idol was very much ahead of its time. What made the show so unique was that there was no qualifications for being a contestant. You didn't have to live in a certain place, sing a certain style, or even look a certain way. All you had to do was show up to an audition and impress the judges enough to get an invitation to the big dance in Los Angeles. But to say that this show is just about singing sells it short. In the episodes where they show the initial auditions taking place, the show would feature several aspiring artists in a behind-the-scenes fashion. The producers would interview a prospective star, talk to their parents, get their life story, and find out why this competition meant so much to them. Before you hear them sing a single note, you would emotionally connect with each person. You wanted them to succeed, because they weren't just a contestant on a TV show anymore. Now they were a real person. Many of the contestants were phenomenally talented, but ironically, that wasn't the main draw for the initial episodes. The main reason people watched these auditions was to see people fall on their face and fail in epic fashion. Just like there were people who deserved to move on in the competition due to their incredible talent, there were also those who didn't have a prayer of a chance. What always made me sad about the people who had no singing ability is that often, those would be the people that have been told just how talented they were. In the minutes leading up to their audition, these hopefuls would explain how they had been told their entire lives that they were destined to be a star, destined to be a singer-songwriter. Their family, their friends, their entire community had fed them this lie, and now it would be revealed on national television. I understand why their families did it, They didn't want to disappoint them. They wanted them to hold on to their dream. But in the end, all it led to was public humiliation on an epic scale. But it could have all been avoided. If their friends and family had just been honest, that person not only could have avoided that embarrassment, they could have spent that time investing in something they were actually good at. What are you actually good at? To lead a thriving small group, it is important to know how every person fits in. What is it that Joe brings to the table? What can Sally do better than anyone else? Being able to identify what the members of your group are actually good at and helping them identify it in themselves will take your small group to the next level. When you recognized that you could lead a small group, what did that do for your confidence? It probably helped, right? When the people in your small group are able to clearly identify what their gifts are and what they bring to the table, they can find ways to use those gifts to help the group and they'll be more likely to initiate on their own. When the members of your group start using their gifts to help the group, you'll get to your stated objective much faster. One of the biggest mistakes leaders make is doing too much taking on too much of the responsibility. When people are able to actively use their gifts to help the group, that means you only have to do your job. You just have to focus on your role as the leader, staying laser-focused on the goal 
and providing others with the opportunity to contribute. Believe it or not, the people in your group are itching to engage. They want to contribute. They want to make a difference. When you can help them identify their ideal role within your small group and show them how it helps you achieve your objective, you'll see them increase their commitment even more. Everyone loves being a contributor on a championship team, so give them a reason to get off the bench and get in the game. Here's the deal. If you're unable to distribute the load, if you're unable to identify what role each person should have, and if you're unable to delegate responsibilities effectively, then it's all on you. You'll have to do everything, and the group will live and die based on how you're feeling any particular week. Not exactly a recipe for success. Your job is not to do everything. Your job is to inspire the people in your group to step up and contribute in an authentic and meaningful way. Lucky for you, God has already laid the groundwork. Every part is strategically placed. Just as a body, the one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. Now if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, it would not for that reason stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12, and verses 15 through 18. Paul explains to the church in Corinth that the church functions much like our bodies. It's made up of many parts, and each part is needed, even the parts of your body that you don't pay much attention to. Just try walking around with a stubbed pinky toe, for instance, and tell me it's not important. Similarly, every member of your small group is important. Even if your job is just to bring the green bean casserole and a smile, you are an important member of the small group. Have you ever experienced the following conversation? Hey Joe, I noticed you weren't at small group the other day. What's going on? Yeah, I guess I just didn't feel like it mattered if I was there or not. I don't feel like I have anything to contribute. Nonsense. Just being there makes a big difference. In fact, the other day, Nicole was telling me just how much talking to you made her day. Really? Wow, that's great. I guess I just figured that since I'm not really leading the lesson, and I rarely have anything to add during the discussion, that I'm just not that important. Did you get deja vu reading this? This same conversation is playing out in small groups all over the world, and it's because of a false belief. It's the belief that I'm willing to bet most of the people in your group have bought into. They are not as important as you. Think about the implications of this false belief. This means that the people in your group think you are more important than they are, that you are the reason the group functions, and that you are the person that will make the group successful. By extension, since they aren't leading the group, then they see themselves as expendable, When that happens, there's a good chance they'll mentally check out and go into spiritual cruise control. Why go through the effort of serving when it's not going to make a difference? 
That's why what Paul tells the Corinthians is so important. Every single person in your small group is essential. The key to fighting this insecurity, this false belief, is clarity. When you are clear about how God wants to use you, then you don't feel the need to compare yourself to others. When you realize that it's not your role to cook dessert because you can't cook to save your life, you're not insecure when sampling Nancy's amazing chocolate cake. When you realize that it's not your role to lead the discussion, you don't question if you're really needed or not. Your job as a leader is to help the people in your group discover what it is they bring to the table and help them do it. But what gifts matter in the context of your small group? Is playing that harmonica really what Drew needs to focus on? God has an answer for this too. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit distributes them. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them, and in everyone, it is the same God at work. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one, just as He determines. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 4-7, through 7, and verse 11. There are specific gifts that the Holy Spirit distributes to Christians. These gifts are designed to build up the church and help the body of Christ work like a well-oiled machine. No gift is more important than another, because it is the same God at work no matter what you're doing. Are you being hospitable and hosting the small group meeting? God is at work. Are you leading songs and encouraging people that need encouragement? God is at work. Are you leading the discussion and helping people learn about God? God is at work. No matter what each person does, God is at work in each person. Notice, too, that this is not an accidental phenomenon. All these are the work of one and the same Spirit, and He distributes them to each one, just as He determines. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. Did you catch that? Spiritual gifts are distributed by the Holy Spirit in a deliberate fashion. It's not an accident that you have the gifts you have. It's not by chance that you are a leader, or by chance that you are encouraging, or by chance that you are a teacher. The Holy Spirit decided you should have that gift. Every person in your group has been deliberately equipped with these spiritual gifts, whether they realize it or not. Every person in your group has been hand-placed by God with the skills and talents they need to build up the body of Christ, i.e. your small group. When you can help someone in your group identify their unique spiritual gifts and pair it with the right role in your small group, that's the sweet spot. When they're able to discover what their gifts are, the role that God has designed them to fill, that will give them the confidence to engage and serve in a truly authentic way. No more will they feel like dead weight. Now they can ask themselves a very simple question and know that the answer will give them the clarity to contribute in a meaningful way. How can I use my spiritual gifts to help the group? For the rest of this chapter, I will outline the spiritual gifts identified in the New Testament that are still at work today and take you through the steps to help you and the other members of your group identify your ideal roles. What are the spiritual gifts? 
Below is a list of the spiritual gifts identified in the New Testament that apply in your small group. Next to each gift is a brief description, as well as a scripture reference so you can see where it comes from. Familiarize yourself with each gift before moving on to the next section. I've organized them in alphabetical order. Administration is the ability to manage or govern people and tasks. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 28. Encouragement is the ability to inspire action in others, primarily as it pertains to pursuing Christ or holiness. Romans 12, verse 8. Evangelism. You consistently call and persuade others to respond to the message of grace and the gospel of Jesus Christ. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Faith. The ability to trust God wholeheartedly and help others do the same. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 9. Generosity. You share your material resources, time, money, possessions, etc., freely with others, with cheerfulness and without expecting anything in return. Romans 12, verse 8. Hospitality. You warmly welcome people, even strangers, into your home or church to serve those in need of food, lodging, or fellowship. 1 Peter 4, verses 9 and 10. Knowledge. You seek to learn as much about the Bible and God as possible by gathering and analyzing information so you can share that knowledge with others. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Leadership. The ability to move people towards God's vision for their lives. Romans 12, verse 8. Mercy or healing. The ability to be empathetic towards those who are suffering and care for them with acts of love to help alleviate their distress. Romans 12, verse 8. Pastoring or shepherding. You take personal responsibility for guiding and protecting people's physical, emotional, and spiritual lives. Ephesians 4, verse 11. Preaching. The ability to speak the message of God to his people and persuade them to live in accordance with his will. Romans 12, verse 6, and 1 Corinthians 12, verse 10. Serving. You identify undone tasks in God's work, no matter how small, and use the resources available to you to get the job done. Romans 12, verse 7. Teaching. The ability to take biblical principles and communicate them in a relatable way. Romans 12, verse 7, and 1 Corinthians 12, verse 28. Wisdom and discernment. The ability to apply knowledge to life and make spiritual truths relevant and practical for making decisions in daily life situations. 1 Corinthians 12, verse 8. Identify your primary spiritual gift. Utilize the following process and the list of spiritual gifts above to identify your primary spiritual gift. You probably have talent in multiple areas, but you should aim to incorporate your strongest gift directly into serving in your small group. If you prefer, you can download this list at unlockyourgifts.org forward slash SGLS handouts. Step one, eliminate the obvious. Eliminate the gifts that feel overwhelming or you do not feel suited for. This should be the easiest part. For example, I am terrible at administration, so it's not going to be my spiritual gift. You can do this by putting an X next to these gifts on the handout. Step two, identify your natural talents. All of us carry inherent talent in any number of things, 
especially as we mature spiritually. Which gifts come naturally to you? Which gifts align with your default behavior? Identify these gifts by putting a check mark next to them. Step three, which gifts have you been recognized for? When has someone taken the time to compliment or recognize you for exhibiting a particular gift? If someone walked up to you and said, you did a really good job at teaching that lesson. You're really good at explaining things in a way that's very relatable. That would point to knowledge or teaching as candidates for your primary spiritual gift. Mark these gifts with a check mark as well. Step four, get it down to three. Of the gifts that have check marks beside them, begin comparing them one to one. Compare your ability to lead with your heart to be hospitable. Compare your skill in preaching to your effectiveness in encouraging others. Eliminate gifts until you've narrowed it down to your top three. Step five, identify your primary spiritual gift. If one of your top three jumps out at you and screams, this is the one, then that's great. If not, ask for input from people that know you well. Is there one gift that has a consensus from people that know and interact with you? Is the one that inspires you or makes you feel connected to your identity? Has God made it clear that he wants you to serve in a certain capacity that aligns with one of your top three choices? Identify your primary spiritual gift and write it down. Take the next step. Now that you've gone through the process yourself, you can lead the other members of your group through it as well. You can print off copies by downloading the free PDF at the following link, unlockyourgifts.org forward slash SGLS dash handouts. When the members of your group identify their primary spiritual gift, things will start to open up. When each person knows their spiritual gift and understands how God wants them to engage in your small group, things will start to click. They'll know how to engage. They'll know what to focus on. There's a bullseye that they can aim at. Having clarity about your ideal role gives you the confidence to go all in and be fully engaged in the small group. And something amazing happens when every person in your group loves what they're doing and can see how their actions make a noticeable difference. When they lean into their spiritual gift, it will start a positive feedback loop. They will want to continue serving because they see how God is using them. And that's exciting. The dynamic of your group will completely transform once everyone is engaging the way God designed them to.